All right, man, so we are one tonight, and, uh, and we are one this morning, uh, and I just want to start off by saying how cool this, it is to think about all the different things that are so cool when we're experiencing oneness. Um, so me being a, being a, there's beauty, there's fulfillment, and there's effectiveness when you're experiencing oneness. And uh, we see this in sports, okay? You guys all know I'm a, I'm a major sports guy. It's one of the things I love about football because in football, you have 11 players who are trying to all execute one play. 11 guys trying to execute one play. And when every guy does his job, and that then what happens is that play is executed in unity and it works, and what's crazy, if, when you dive in, uh, like I do, unfortunately, into the Lions, into football, uh, what you'll find out is there's a guy who will show how on every play, all it takes is one person not to execute himself fully, and the other ten can do that, and the play falls apart. And it just doesn't work. And it's not good. And you're not good. <laughs> See, but when you experience everybody doing the exact same thing, it's called oneness, it's called unity, and it's effective. Um, the other place you'll see this is in music, okay? How many of you guys played high school band? How many of you were in the high school band? Well, more of you needed to be, all right? How many of you, how many of you were in the elementary band? Okay, all right. Now, that's interesting. More of you were in the elementary band, and then you kind of fall out and let them, let it go into, into the high school band. I I tell you, um, I, I was in music, too. My dad was the choir director. My mom gave piano lessons, so we had to do the music thing. I played the baritone. Any other baritone players out there? All right, one? Sweet. Awesome. Thanks, lad. So, um, the, uh, hold on, we'll just transition here. Ah, you can keep it there. Thanks. All right. But what's so wild, man, is when you listen to a band that's in elementary school that's just learning, is there anything more painful I, I mean, oh my gosh, you're just, you know, I remember sitting there and, the, you know, they held little numbers on top of the measures and the band director would hit his, hit his uh, little baton on the stand and go, stop, 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 we're on measure 43, you know, and everybody else is on measure 45 and some are on measure 42 and it's just, everybody's off and it's just painfully, you know, and you're a parent and you're going, oh, okay, that was beautiful, honey, it was not beautiful, it wasn't good, but then you go to a symphony you, you, you go to, to the people who are the top at their game, and now there's like, I don't know how many people are in an orchestra, but there's this numerous people, and they're good. And when they play in unified synchronicity, it's beautiful. There's something awesome about that. We experience this in work. You can work as a team, and you can give everything that you've got, and then you've got somebody else who doesn't quite do their job, and it's not effective. Our body experiences this. All these different parts to this body, all these different cells, and yet somehow come together to be called a body. Unbelievable diversity within this body, but it all comes together as one, and it works, and it's effective, and it's productive. And especially, you guys, we experience this in relationships, in just any relationship. But ultimately, if, we did, if you took it right to marriage, where God says, I'm taking two and I'm making them one. And, and I talk about this a lot, but I think there are certain times where when you're clicking with your spouse, right? I mean, you're on all, clicking on all cylinders. What will you say? It's like we're one. <laughs> and it's awesome. I, I remember it was crazy for Susan and I when we were doing our registry, you know, going out and buying all those gifts. Guys, don't you love doing the registry, right? Well, it was hilarious. So we would go out and we had this list and we're, I can't remember what store, we, department store we were in. And we were looking at glasses, you know, what glasses are we going to choose, you know, for our home? And there's this whole wall of different types of glasses. So we looked at each other and we said, okay, tell you what, you pick out the glass. Don't say anything. You just pick out the glasses that you like. I'll pick out the ones that I like and we'll see where we're at. So we sit there and we look at all of them and you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, which one? Bam, pointing the same one. We're like, we're so one, you know. It's just awesome when you're engaged. And then we did the same thing with silverware. You know, you got, I don't know how many different choices of silverware. And they're all sitting out there. And we did the same thing. And you guys, it was hilarious. We chose the same silverware. We're like, we are so meant for each other. You know, this is beautiful. We're one. You know, so those are nice and those are sweet. And then we had kids. 
And Susie and I found out that we have completely different philosophies of parenting. Anybody else have that problem out there? Okay. I'm telling you what, man. When you're not one on parenting, that's called conflict. And it's not good. And it's not peaceful. And so you guys know what this is like. When you're in a relationship with somebody and you're one and you're giving yourself to each other, it's awesome. And when you got two different people wanting two different things, trying to make it work, it's really, really difficult. Now, what makes any of these examples oneness? How can a sports team be one? How can an orchestra be one? How can your workplace be that? How can you be that in a relationship? I believe it takes each person giving fully and perfectly of themselves to a unified cause. Let me say that again. When each person gives themselves fully and perfectly of themselves to a unified cause, that's when it works. That's when relationships work. I'm going to give fully of myself and perfectly everything I've got to you. And the other person's saying, I'm going to do the same back to you. When everybody on a team, when everybody in orchestra, when everybody is coming together on a unified cause and they give everything they've got, you can experience oneness. And the result is harmony. (laughs) Instead of dissonance, it's peace. Instead of stress, it's beauty. Instead of ugliness, it's productivity. It's effective. It's fulfillment. It's victory. (laughs) They're the ones who win. And nowhere, you guys, out of all these things, does this matter more than in relationships? And why? Why does it matter so much to us that we experience a oneness in relationships? Because, and in, 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 uh, Mike Rutledge and I, he's up at North this week, we were talking about this, and what we realized was things like sports, music, uh, work, all those things, they are not essential to life. Now, they give you a better quality of life. But they're not essential to life. And so then I was thinking about the body, and I'm like, well, isn't the body essential to life? Well, yes, without a body, you don't live. (laughs) But what's interesting is your body doesn't have to fully function to still have quality of life. Cliff Christensen is up at North Campus. He's in our Life Together group. And three years ago, Cliff was in an accident at work. A beam literally fell on his head and his uh, spinal cord injury. And so he's paralyzed from right here, hit the chest, all the way down. Um. And you know what? Yes. Is Cliff not experiencing all he used to? That's true. But I'm telling you what, the essence of the life that Chris Christensen lives is unbelievable. He's living life to the full. Because even though the quality of life might not be exactly what it was, the essence of life, what's essential for life, is the relationships. I was even thinking when my mom had cancer that uh, one of the things eventually when it got really bad is all the nurses would come and they'd say, hey, you guys really need to think about what? Anybody been there? The quality of life. You need to think about the quality of life. What are they saying? They're saying there's something that's more essential. And you guys, relationships are essential to life. Why? It's amazing. The effects of whether we're loved or not early on in our age have completely set a pattern for the quality of our life right now. All the issues of the search for significance that we have deal with the relationships. I have some sports magazine, I I can't remember which one it was, and it was showing these little girls, you know, that are like my, I don't know, they're like six or seven, and they're in these cheerleading competitions. Have you guys seen this? Oh my, I I know there's some show on TV too where they have the little girls who are being groomed up to be models, you know. I mean, I open up these pictures, and these girls have more makeup on their face than my wife has worn in a lifetime. It's unbelievable, all the pressure that's got on these tiny little girls about how you look and what you do and what you need to become. And I just sit there, and I go, see, that as a pastor, that's job security is what that is. Because these girls are going to be so messed up. They're going to think their whole value and their whole worth depends on their physical appearance and what they can do to perform. And then they're going to walk into life and there's just going to be a mess. So what is this? When, when love, when you're loved, when you're accepted, when you're valued, when you belong, life is good. And when you love, when you're finally free from yourself to love, 
is good. And, and, I, and we, I say this all the time. It's so interesting. How essential is it, our relationships to life? When you're in prison, which is bad enough, if you're really bad, what do they do to you? They put you in solitary confinement. The worst punishment that a human being can go through is to put you in a position where you're all alone. Relationships are essential to life. And I think it's because we were created in the image of God, and God, as Lad said, in essence, is a being who's three in one. In his nature, he's in relationship. And so we call that the Trinity. And that is what I want to share with you guys today. Let me give you a quote by Millard Erickson. He says, the doctrine of the Trinity must be divinely revealed, not humanly constructed. It is so absurd from a human standpoint that no one would have invented it. We do not hold the doctrine of the Trinity because it is self-evident or logically cogent. We hold it because God has revealed that this is what he's like. (laughs) You guys catch all that? So this is one of the beauties to me of what I'm going to share with you, and hopefully by the end of the day you'll, you'll see why, is this is nothing that a human being is going to come up with. You just, we wouldn't do this because it's so far beyond us to really completely understand. Um, but I want to tell you, I, I, I told Lad, I've told the arts team today, I think, how long have I been in ministry? I started when I was 22 years, 23 years. I don't know if I have been as excited to give a message in 23 years of ministry as I am today. If you get at all what I feel like I got in studying this this week, I think you're going to be glad you bore through the elements and showed up today. I feel like what I get to share with you today is what it's all about. And um, it is a mystery. It is beyond us. And so what we need to do here is we've got to pray because if God doesn't open the eyes of our heart, we won't get this. If you sit and try to get what I'm going to share with you today from your perspective, you're not going to get this. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in humbling ourselves today. And my prayer this morning to God was, okay, God, I know I'm going to stand before you someday. So, oh my gosh. So I'm going to try to explain you today. (laughs) And please help me because I don't want to goof this up. But um, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is my brother-in-law is the most brilliant person I know, personally. And he's a theology professor, and he did his doctoral dissertation on the Trinity. He spent years, countless years, studying everything there is to know about the Trinity. And um, so when he talks to me, I can't even understand him. Um, But there's little glimpses. I'm going to try to take you into kindergarten with me. And see if we can grasp this. Because if we do, it will change us forever. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, in many ways, I feel like Moses. I feel like I should take off my shoes. Because I I feel like we're going to tread on some holy ground today. I think probably the essence of what holiness is actually all about. And so God, you know I, I cannot explain this in a way so we can all get this. <clears throat> and you know that every one of us in our finite minds will not be able to completely grasp this. So we need you. And how cool is it that you say, well, good, come and ask me and I will give it to you. So I'm asking right now on behalf of everyone here, Lord, that you would just open the eyes of our heart, help us to understand what can be understood about this amazing revelation that you have given us about the very nature of who you are. And may you speak to the depth of our heart about it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so guys, what we're going to look at is the essence of God. Here's the definition of essence. It's the intrinsic nature or the indispensable quality of something that determines its character. Okay? Let me read that again. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the intrinsic nature of God, the indispensable quality of God that determines the character of God. 
Oh, this is so true. Another definition of essence, essence is it's a property or a group of properties of something without which it would not cease to be what it is. <laughs> you guys, any philosophy people out there going, yeah, this is cool, and everybody else is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, but that's what, what essence is. It's a property or a group of properties of something that without them, it would cease to be what it is. It's the essence of it. This is the essence of who God is. So I got a bus, man. So I'm going to just, you, if you got pens and paper, you're going to want to write some of this stuff down because this stuff you got to hold on to and you're going to hang on to it. And I gotta, I'm just going to kind of plow through it to get to the end where this culminates to me in the most glorious revelation I think there is on planet Earth. So here's the first thing about the essence of God, that there's only one, okay? There is only one God. That is revealed all through the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, this is a huge issue back then because every other nation had tons of gods and they had idols and they were all these different gods and gods were every place. And so God, the one true God, as we learned Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know the one true God, when he wanted to come in to play and reveal himself, he said, the first thing you've got to understand is all these other gods aren't God. There's only one, and it's me. And then in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21, he says, There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So this is really important when you understand the Trinity because we're going to talk about how there's three in one. And it's absolutely essential to believe in the Christian faith that there is only one God, okay? It's monotheism. The Jews believe this, the Muslims believe this, and the Christians believe this, that there's one God. Now, here's where the Christians part, okay? and are unique. Here's what we believe is unique, and that is, number two, in the essence of God, that this God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what essence is, you guys. Essence is what you are. See, every one of us in this room, you can say, I'm a human being. In essence, that's what you are, okay? All of us. So essence is what you are. Person is who you are, so I'm Dave, and this is Lad over here, and this is Mary right here, okay, and Cindy's back at the board. See, we all know, in essence, we're human, but in person, there's uniqueness. So here's, I, somebody, I don't know who said this, but this is really good. God is one what and three who's, okay, get that? God is one what and three who's. What in essence? God. Who? There's three of them, three persons with the exact same essence in perfect unity. Three persons with the exact same essence in unity. So the first thing we got to look at then is this, is do the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have the same essence as God? Okay, now one way you can go through this, and, and, and there's tons I mean, I read all those big, thick theological books, you know, this week and dug it all into the stuff. I've got a half hour, okay? <laughs> so here you go. Are they, do they all have the same essence of God? Here's a way, one way you can test it. There's four things you can do. The first one is, are they addressed with divine names, okay? Are they addressed with divine names? And you can look and find, obviously, the Father is always called God. Jesus Christ is called God in the scriptures. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. That's the first one. Are they addressed with divine names? Secondly, do they have divine attributes? Because there are certain attributes that none of us as human beings would say, yeah, we do that too. There are certain attributes that have to be divine, like being eternal in nature. Like having what we talked about last week, having all knowledge, being omniscient, being present in all places, and being outside of time. And then having all power, being more powerful than anything else. And you will find all through the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all given those attributes. Here's a third one. Do they participate in actions that only God can accomplish? Are there certain things that only God could do? And are the Father, the Son, and the Spirit said to have done that? Here's a few things that God can only do. Create the world. Are they involved in that? Giving life and life eternal. 
actually the ones who, I can't give life to you. There's only God can give life. The miraculous works, all the different miracles that, that we talk about. And then even bringing life out of death. Can you bring life out of death? See, all of those are things that no human being is going to say they can do. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all participate in actions that only God can accomplish. And here's the fourth thing. Are they worthy of and do they receive worship? Are they worthy of and do they receive worship? Because only God is worthy of worship. And you find that in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let me give you a few, just a couple examples here. of Because there's tons of scripture all the way through that can support this. But let me give you the one that's really interesting. Let's talk about creation. Okay, we hit that in the first week here. Does God create the world? Yes, only God could actually do that. <laughs> only God could be out of, outside of time and then create the world. Now look at this, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, so there we got, we've, got, we've got God as a father in the verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we see we have two separate things right there. We've got God and we've got the Spirit of God. And then verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So in other words, when he says something, what is that called? It's called a word. And how did he create the world? Through the spoken word. And again, when we were doing this, it's not like God said, Okay, a tree! You know, and then all of a sudden it, it showed up. What it really, the word is the organizing in, in, in Greek, in, in John chapter 1, which I'm going to read here for a second. Everybody understood what means, what is meant by the word is it's the organizing principle behind the world. John chapter 1, look at this, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, which always means before there was even time, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And what was the word? Later on in verse 12, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? It's Jesus. See, so we see right from the very beginning, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, all involved in the creation of the world. So they're given this divine attribute and this, this action that can only be done by God, and all three of them were involved in that. Here's what is so cool. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the ground, over all the creatures that move along the ground. You guys, this is what's so cool, because most people will say the doctrine of the Trinity is really something that's only really understood in the New Testament. When Jesus has come in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit is given to us, and we've got God the Father, and there's all these places in the New Testament where it's intertwined. But here we have in the very first chapter of the Bible <laughs> that God says, he doesn't say, "Let I'm going to make man in my image. He says, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. From the very beginning, we are to understand that there is multiple personality within this one God. Because over and over again through the Old Testament, he makes sure there's only one. And yet he's saying, let us do it. Let me show you a great passage where Jesus, where we can look and see, is Jesus really God? You guys, when you talk with people, uh, when I chat with people who are struggling through this whole issue of Christianity or whatever, part of what has to happen in faith is you just have to come down to this reality. Was Jesus Christ really God in the flesh? Because if he wasn't, then we can just bag all this. Now, maybe not all of it, because there's some good teaching and we could learn some stuff, you know. But I'm telling you, if he was God in the flesh, then I'm going to listen to him. <laughs> and I'm going to take everything he says as what's true. Look at this passage. It shows so much how Jesus understood himself to be God. It's John chapter 10, verses 25 through 33. And in this passage, uh, the Jewish people, they're just kind of getting riled up. And they're saying, man, would you just tell us? Come on, man, just tell us if you're the Messiah. And then Jesus answered, I did. I did tell you. 
but you don't believe. And then here's the first one. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. So there's the first thing he says. Come on, you guys. See anybody else raise somebody from the dead? You know? Come on, you guys. Do you see anybody who's uh, the, the, the constant physical miracles that he performed, the authority that he had over all demonic uh, presence? God, Jesus was just saying, listen, who else does that but God? And even other people would say, who could do these things except God? So he says, man, look at the miracles I do. Verse 26, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And my sheep listen to my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Now look at this, verse 28. I give them eternal life. Okay, if Jesus was a good dude, I mean, seriously, if you met someone today and they said, I could give you eternal life, what would you do? I mean, you'd say, oh, you'd call up uni. You'd, 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 you'd call up someplace and you'd say, this guy has an issue. He thinks he can give me eternal life. Jesus is saying, I can give you eternal life, and they shall never perish. And then look at this. He goes, no one can snatch them out of whose hand? Out of my hand, he says. And then look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No them, and he's, he's totally equating that with no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. And look what he says in verse 30. I and the Father are one. It's unbelievable. So again, the Jews, then now they're like, okay, this is it. Man, I'm picking up the stones. We're going to stone him. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 wait on. Man, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they said, well, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. (laughs) Do you guys get the picture here? Jesus completely understood himself to be equal in nature and in essence with God. So we have this whole deal. Now we have the spirit of God. And Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you another counselor. And this word another means another of the same kind. There's another word that means another of a different kind. But Jesus says, I'm going to send you another counselor. He's of the same essence. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And he's going to do what I've been doing because he's me. And we have this whole three-in-one thing. Here's a couple of verses that show this. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right there, the three in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul ends his conclusion of this book by saying, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, there was this understanding right from the very beginning that there's something really unique going on here. We understand that there's a Father God. We've known that forever, the Jews would say. Now Jesus is coming to our midst. And we've seen that he does the exact same things that God can do and nobody else can do. And he's claimed to be God and he's shown it by his life. And now they've experienced Pentecost, which was the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now there's an empowering of the Spirit that was way more than they could ever have before. And it's they, they, the teaching from this point on was there's one God in three persons. Now, there's been a lot of analogies to sit there and go, okay, how does this work? And so we go to nature, right? And we figure this out. And that's why the, if you looked at the title of the message today, it's fried, uh, scrambled, or poached. Okay? And, and we chose that name because the first thing you'll ever hear about is an egg. You guys ever heard this one? Right? An egg is, it's an egg. It's just one thing, but it's made of a shell and a white and a yolk. Right? Three things making up an egg. Uh, another one is water. Okay? You've got steam and water and ice, all the same property, three different things, but they're the same. You guys follow that? You guys are pretty cool. These are pretty cool. Um, I heard a guy one time say, uh, this is even better, he thought, and I think it's pretty good too. He said, if you're in music at all, you can take three different individual notes and play them at the same time, and it becomes one chord. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? You ever heard that one before? Three individual notes played together make one chord. This object, any object, has height, length, and breadth to it. There's three components to this thing, and yet it's a Bible. So, but, you know, and all those were cool for me, and maybe they're helpful for you. But now I want to share with you the revelation that I think God has given us. And it might be an analogy, but it's way, way more. And I think it's the essence of what this life is all about. 
And here's the third thing. So the first thing about the essence of God is there's only one. The second thing about the essence of God is there's three persons in one. Here's the third thing about the essence of God. That God's essence is love. God's essence is love. See, what we're trying to do is take this unbelievable spiritual reality and understand it with tangible physical things like eggs and water and Bibles. (laughs) And God is saying, no, what I'm revealing to you about the Trinitarian nature of who I am is all bound up in love. Now remember the definition of essence. It's the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something that determines its character. What is the character of God? Seriously, if someone was going to come to you and say, if you could pick one word to give the essence of God's character, what word would you choose? Love. In fact, so that's why he can tell us. You can have all these things, and without love, you're nothing. Tell us what to do. Tell us the greatest commandment, okay? Love God. (laughs) Love everybody. Everything else is summed up in just that. In the essence of God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. See, not only does he love, it's not just something that he does, it's his essence. God is love. Later on in verse 16, he says, so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. So, follow my thought here. If God is eternal, which all of us would believe, if there's a God and he's outside and he created everything, if he's eternal before creation and in essence, God is love, that means there was love happening before the creation of time. You guys following that? See, because this is, when, this is why sometimes, I, I said this in my message, uh, I, can't remember, in the, in the, I wasn't here, I was up north two weeks ago about creation. Like, why did God create the world? And some people will say because he needed someone to love. See, he didn't need anybody to love because he is love in his nature, and he was that before the world was created. Because here's the reality, guys. For love to exist there must at least be two, right? For love to exist, there has to at least be a lover and one who's being loved. Or else love isn't happening, it's not there. And God is love, and he always has been love. He's eternal in his nature. So Dennis Kinlaw, who I got much of this research from, in this book called, very interesting book if you want to get this, Let's Start With Jesus uh, by Dennis Kinlaw. He says this, Love is an interpersonal reality. It speaks of the possible relationship of one person to another. Thus, it is by definition other-oriented. You guys following me? By definition, love has to be other-oriented. And God, in his essence, is love. So there has to be somebody else who's being loved, or God can't actually be love. So, Jesus revealed that in the inner being of the Godhead, there is otherness and that the relationship is one of self-giving love. Okay, I'm going to read one more quote and then we'll, we'll, we'll unpack this. The Trinity lives in perfect community because there is no self-interest but only perfect, holy, self-giving love. So you guys, now I'm going to unpack this here and show you what the implications are of this. Anybody going, what in the world are you talking about? Okay, try, I'm going to try to follow this. The Christian faith is the only faith whose God has said from the beginning of time, outside of time, in my essence, I'm actually in relationship with myself. There are three people, unique but in absolute essence and quality, God. There, you now listen to this. There is no other way for God to be love 
unless he could love before he created the world. And I'm going to show you why this is so important and why it changes everything about how we live our lives. Here are the implications. The first one is this. That oneness and unity, because God is three in one, then oneness and unity is the ultimate experience in life. So in other words, each person, like, so God has created this world, and he created it in his wisdom. And in his wisdom, he said, listen, guys, just want to let you know, the greatest thing about me is my perfect oneness in love with each other. And so I'm going to create this world with my wisdom, and it's going to flow, and you're going to taste this. And every time you experience oneness, you're going to go, that was good. That was beautiful. That was effective. That gave peace and harmony to life. Oneness does that. The reason, as a human being, that oneness is so desired is because it's from the very nature of the God who created this world. Each person giving fully and perfectly of themselves to a unified cause. So we're created, right, in his image. Guys, see, this is when it gets good. We're created in his image. Why does relationship, why is relationship essential to life? Why is the worst punishment solitary confinement? Why is it that every human being at their very core needs to know that they're loved and needs to love? Why? Because we're created in the image of God who is love and who in his nature is relational. That's why in relationship matters so much to us. When we're one with each other, it's euphoria. It's utopia. It's divine. You see why? Because we're experiencing or tasting the nature of God. So the implications of God being three in one, the first one is that's what we realize in, the, in our experience in life down here. When people can come together around a unified cause and give themselves fully to it, perfectly to it, it's awesome because we're tasting what God is like. Here's the second implication. The nature and the essence of God is unlike any other God. The nature and the essence of the Trinitarian God is unlike any other God who has ever been explained through the history of time. Gilbert Brilzikian, now bear with me, I'm going to read this quote, because I want you to realize I got this from other people. Gilbert Brilzikian, if I can say that, says this. Because other gods are one person within one being, okay, so, so you know what he's saying? Every other god is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every other god that exists is one person in one being. He's all by himself. He goes, because other gods are one person with one being, they are the prisoner of their own limitation. Frozen within the singularity of their transcendency, they can never experience community. Do you guys follow this? What he's saying is, every other god that has been described has not been eternally in relationship with himself. And therefore, he can't be loved. Because he hasn't had anybody to love and to be loved by in eternity. And so, what happens, you guys, since there's only one person, there's not the nature of love, and here's the third implication, and this is where it all, where the rubber hits the road. The message of each faith matches the essence of their God. Okay? Follow me on this one. The message of each faith matches the essence of their God. Here's what I mean by that. All other messages say that there is a God and you must appease him to be close to him and that he needs your love. He needs your love. In fact, I'm so bummed. I, I, I didn't bring Kinlaw's book and there was this explanation where Plato was trying to explain what love was like. And he said there was a really wise woman that shared with him that the, the, when we say that the gods love, she said there's no way that the gods can actually love because when you love something, what you're really doing is you're meeting a need. And since gods don't have any needs to be met, then they don't actually really love. <laughs> you guys follow that? 
She goes, so in other words, if you love somebody to get something from them, but you're already completing in and of yourself, you're like, well, I don't need to love you then because I'm already completing myself, right? See, so this is where every other message that talks about a God says, okay, so here's the deal. You got to do these certain things to appease this God that somehow he wants your love. Now, here's the Christian message that matches the essence of our God. And this is why, you guys, it's called the gospel, because it means good news. (laughs) This is really good news. And here's the message of Christianity, that God is love. And not, it's not what you must do to appease him. It's what he has done to appease his own righteous reality. It's what he has done to bring you close to him. Now, you guys follow me on this one? See, this is where, you guys, the rubber hits the road. Every other message, if we stand up here and say, hey, man, if you're going to get right with God, and if you're going to spend eternity with God, well, then there's a whole lot of things you have to do to meet this God's standard. Well, then does that God love you? See, then the Christian, Jesus Christ, comes out and he says, listen, let me explain to you. We are, I am, love. And so the message is not what you got to do for me. It's what I do for you. And I'm going to take care of everything. So in 1 John 4, 8 through 10, it says, God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay. Now look at this verse, Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 8. You guys, this is the greatest news in all the world. And it's why the Trinity matters. Because God is love in his essence. And there's something, because his very essence is to love, he can't help but do that. And his love is so different than what we experience in human relationships. I use this verse all the time. I never get sick of it. If you've heard it a lot from me, I'm sorry, don't get sick of this because this is the best news in all the world. Whenever I work with premarital and I'm talking with people about marriage, I'm like, this is our hope, you guys. This love right here. Look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me unpack this for you. You know what God's saying? He's looking, there's three things here that so blow me away. He goes, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And again, what does it mean to be powerless? If you're powerless, what can you do? Nothing. Okay, how many human beings love you Because you can do nothing. Doesn't happen. Human love says, you know what? I like you. (laughs) And there's certain things that you do for me, and we have this kind of reciprocal thing going back and forth, and as long as you do those things, as long as you have something you can offer, then I'll reciprocate that and I'll love you back. And here's God saying, you know what? Let me just show you, at just the right time when you could do nothing, Why was it just the right time for God to love us when we could do nothing? Because he wanted you to understand that my love for you is not based on what you do for me. When you do nothing for me, it's the perfect time for me to show you the essence of my character. It's love. And I love you when you do nothing. Second thing he says, for the ungodly. You know know what ungodly means? means you're not like God. (laughs) So God looks at us and he goes, you know what, you guys are nothing like me. Now again, what does human love do? Human love goes, you know what, I kind of like you because you're like me, right? I mean, seriously, how many of you married someone because they were absolutely nothing like you? If you did, that was a really bad choice. You're looking for something where you have some things, no, opposites attract, but man, you better have some stuff where you got some commonality going on or you're in trouble. 
Because human love, we hang out with people that we got something that we have something to gel about, a unified cause. God looks at us and he says, you know what? You have never been like me. And it was just the right time for me to show you that my essence, the character of me for eternity has been love. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate it for you. When you're not like me and when you're ungodly and when you live in ways that are completely opposite of me, it's just the right time for me to love you. I love you. And then he goes on, and God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And a sinner, you guys, is a, the, the term was a guy who'd take the bow and arrow, he'd, show, he'd shoot it at a, at a bullseye, and he'd miss. And every time he'd miss the mark, they'd go, Hamartia, which meant sin. <laughs> you missed it. So, like, God has this standard, right? And he puts it right here. And see, we, would, we, we do this. Every human relationship says, I just wanted to let you know, here's the standard. And if you meet the standard, then we're good to go. And this is what I always say about marriage. Because when you're marrying somebody, what you're saying is, I finally found the person who meets my standard. You, honey, there's no one else like you in all the world. And then you get married. Right? And then you go, yeah, you know, you don't jump as high as you used to. And you don't meet the standard anymore. Why does divorce happen so rampantly? Why? Because all of a sudden, maybe another person gets powerless? Because another person is just not like me anymore, and I'm just not attracted anymore? Because you don't meet the standard anymore. And human love says that I'm pulling back. And God says, can I demonstrate my love for you? Because I'm Trinitarian in my nature. I love. And he says, it's just the right time for me. I'm going to die for you while you're still a sinner. So you guys, this love we can't even comprehend. Agape love is the love that comes because it just has no other choice. It just is. It's the nature of God. Being loved like this, too, it changes everything. It changes everything. And because all of our love is conditional, we need help to really understand the love of God. I, I'll just tell you, man, I, oh, I wasn't even going to share this, but earlier this week, man, I, just, I, I was in total spiritual battle. And you know what the battle was? All I could do was picture God looking at me and going, geez, I'm so... I picture myself on the basketball court, like, you know, God chose me, he wanted me to be on his team, gave me a uniform, and then I'm out there and everybody's just kicking my butt. You know, I'm the one stumbling, making the plays, you know, I'm messing up the plays so nothing works right, you know, it's kind of how I was feeling that day. And then I look over at the coach and he's just going, oh, jeez. Nelson, be on the bench. I'm sitting at the end of the bench. I don't even know if I'll ever play again. Literally, in my prayer, I was like, so when are you going to take the uniform from me? See, that's... Everything I was imagining in my head was a lie from the pit of hell. Because God loves me, man. He can't help it. It's his nature to do that. So look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. I pray this for me all the time, and I pray it for others too. It says, I pray this, that, in, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. These guys, we actually need power to grasp this love. And when we do, it changes us. It changes us. See, God, you guys, reconciled us through Jesus Christ to bring us into relationship with him so that we could be loved by God, so that we, we could receive his love, so that we can even pour it into each other. So band, come on up. And I'm just going to read a couple more things while they come up here. Dennis Kinlaw, in his book, he said this. I began to realize that the message of the cross was taking on a much fuller, broader, and richer implication for me. It became clear that salvation is a gift of the Father through the Son and by the Spirit to bring me not just into forgiveness and reconciliation with God, but into participation in the very communion that the three persons of the triune Godhead knew between themselves. Could you guys follow that? 
Let me just try to say it with my own words. Salvation, you guys, is much more than just being forgiven by God. Because if you get forgiven, that's nice, but then what? It's much more than being reconciled back to God. That's nice too. That's really good. But salvation is God saying, now, you, I'm inviting every one of you into the communion that I have with myself. I'm inviting you to experience the oneness of holy love that I have for you. And when that happens, everything changes. You guys ever wonder why the Bible always says, you're in Christ, and then it'll say, and Christ is in you? You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, you are now enveloped in to me and my love. I have been forever in relationship, and now I'm inviting you to be in that relationship with me, to be loved perfectly and wholly and completely so that you now have a love to give the people around you that you never had before. I'll close with this. Jesus prays in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Listen to this. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may know that you've sent me. You guys, the whole core of the message of God is he's saying to you and me today, I am love. I always have been love. And yes, you are created to be loved. So I'm going to send Jesus to take care of everything that's caused us to be separated. And when you receive me into your life, I will come and I will live inside your very being and I will start to draw you into a personal, intimate, unbelievably life-changing experience of love. And it's the greatest message in all the world. It's not about what you do for him. It's about what he does for you. So I just said, I got done with this, and I just said, man, what do I do in response to this? And I just sat there in my chair this morning. I go, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? Is it this good that I can know God this way? Yes, then you are holy. You are so different. No human mind could have come up with this one. And I fall on my face. And I just go, then I, God, I just want to worship you. And I want to receive everything you've got for me. And I want to be filled all the measure of the fullness of God. I want to know the power of this love so that I can have everything. Take me, fill me, renew me, engage me, baptize me. That's what baptism is. Baptism is the Holy Spirit coming into you and finally setting you free. Because you know your love. So that's what we're going to do. Everybody stand up with me. And we're going to take these last minutes here to just worship him and thank him and praise him as the one holy God, the only God, the only Father who is in his nature love and he's offering it to you here and right now.